Thank you, Sarah, very much indeed. Well, let's ask for God's help on our new series. Almighty God, we thank you that you have caused this great book to be preserved in the Bible. And we do commit our new series to you right at the beginning and pray that you would change hearts and change lives and that you would take your glory among us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last weekend, um, Angus Buchan held his famous prayer meeting in Bloemfontein. And uh, even though the great man only spoke for five minutes, more than a million people turned up to listen. Uh, Maybe there's a lesson for me in that. Uh, The title of this extraordinary event was It's Time. According to Angus, it's time for Christians to call on God to rescue South Africa from all her problems before it is too late. Now, whether he's right in his particular assessment of the changes that are needed, I don't know. But what I do know is that Christians in South Africa are engaged in a spiritual battle and the signs are we're not doing very well. Church numbers across the country are declining. The number of Christians who don't know their Bibles is increasing. And the lifestyle that God has laid down for us in Scripture is everywhere ignored. And these are just some of the signs that the Christian community at large is losing its way. Now, of course, uh, many Christians are waking up to that, which is why so many of them went to Bloemfontein last weekend, and, and we thank God for it. But what you see so many of them don't know is that there won't be any meaningful progress in the spiritual battle until the churches come back to the God of the Bible. You see, for too long, Christians have been worshipping a God who doesn't seem to care about our ignorance or our complacency or our disobedience. But taking my cue from Angus Buchan, I want to say that it's time for Christians to leave behind the God of popular imagination because that God doesn't exist. And it's time to return to the living God of Scripture who alone can give us the victory. Now that's where the book of Joshua can be such a help and an encouragement for us. I actually can't think of a more appropriate book for us to be studying right now to strengthen us in the spiritual fight that all of us are engaged in, whether we realise it or not. But what sort of book is it? Well, let me suggest that in order to understand its message and to harness its power, we need to read the book of Joshua on three levels. First, Joshua is a book of history. It tells us what happened between the death of Moses at the beginning of the book and the death of Joshua at the end. It's a true account of events that actually happened, many of which 
have been confirmed by archaeological discovery. So this is history. But it's more than that because, secondly, Joshua is a book of prophecy. The Jews called Joshua one of the former prophets, which was the name given to the part of the Old Testament that runs from Joshua through to First and Second Kings. And in the Old Testament, the prophet's job was to declare the mind of God to the people of God. He was to speak the word of God into the particular circumstances in which God's people found themselves. And this book is prophetic because it reveals to us the faithful, unchanging God of the Bible fulfilling all of his promises to his people. They're his people, let's remember, because God rescued them from slavery in Egypt with mighty signs and wonders. And the reason that God rescued them was that he might bring them into the land of Canaan, the promised land, where they would enjoy fellowship with him and rest from all their enemies. So you see, they are a people with a purpose. And their purpose is to enjoy the fulfilment of all God's promises. And this book tells us how that happened. So, it's a history book. It's also a prophetic book. Thirdly, it's a teaching book. Writing to the Christians in Rome, the Apostle Paul said that the Old Testament was written to teach us that is to say, New Testament Christians, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. So that's why the book of Joshua has been preserved in Scripture. It's here to encourage and to strengthen our faith. Because, of course, the God of Joshua is our God, and that means that we can learn from this book great principles of the Christian life and faith and especially the fact that God always keeps his promises. So the book of Joshua is chock-a-block full of lots of applications for you and me today. So we shall often find Joshua himself pointing us forward to the Lord Jesus. For a start, the names are the same. Joshua means saviour. And Jesus is another form of the same name. And we shall often find ourselves identifying with the people of Israel because if we're Christians, well then we are the people of God. And just as God had a purpose for Israel, so too you and I are people with a purpose. Because, just like Israel, we too are in a battle to possess the land. We too are engaged in a constant battle to work out in practice all that God has given to us in his promises. 
So this book can be a great encouragement to us in our Christian lives. Because let's face it, for some of us, it's time to come out of the desert of defeat and enter the land of victory. And there's a great deal that you and I can learn here about how God wants us to move forward and learn to trust him and obey him so that we can see his power at work in our lives. And so we begin uh, in this opening section with the conquest of the land. And our passage this morning describes the commissioning and the encouragement of the man that God has chosen to use. Now, it's an essential ingredient of uh, any plan that God might have for us that the people of God should be ready to be used. And we need to learn that that is sometimes God's hardest task. You see, in one sense, the fall of Jericho is absolutely no problem for God at all. It's actually a bit of a breeze. Much harder is getting his people to the point where he can use them and work through them. So will you remember that these people in Joshua chapter 1 had been in the desert for 40 years. They'd had the opportunity to enter the promised land much, much earlier. But a whole generation had died in the desert because of their lack of faith. They were continually grumbling against God and complaining that they would much rather go back to Egypt. And in the end, God decided that none of that generation would possess the land that he had promised. Now, God needed a new generation who were willing to take him at his word. And of that earlier generation, only Joshua and Caleb actually entered the land. You remember that they'd been sent to spy out the land with others? (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) But the majority came back with uh, their reports of the, the giants and the problems and the difficulties and they were saying, look, we can't possibly do this. But uh, Joshua and Caleb presented a different report. They said, of course we can because the Lord has commanded us to do it. But the people, of course, weren't convinced. I wonder if uh, some of you have heard the Sunday school rhyme that goes like this. Uh, Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, were the only two who ever got through to the land of milk and honey. Well, it's a rhyme, but that's absolutely true. From that generation of more than a million people, they were the only two who entered the land with their families. And that's a warning to us, I think, isn't it? That if you don't go along with God's purposes, you won't stop them, you won't frustrate them, you'll simply make yourself redundant. You'll simply be moved to the sidelines. So you and I need to take a moment this morning to look at this man Joshua to see what kind of a man he was and how God prepared him 
for the task. Now, I wonder if you noticed, as Sarah read chapter 1 for us, um, a phrase that is repeated several times. Uh, It appears for the first time in verse 6, where God says to Joshua, Be strong and courageous. He repeats it in verse 7, Be strong and very courageous. He says it again in verse 9, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. And in verse 18, right at the end of the chapter, the people themselves say to Joshua, Be strong and courageous. Now that's very interesting. I mean, what kind of a picture does that paint of the man that God was going to use? It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, he doesn't sound very much like the kind of fearless hero you might expect. You know, this isn't an Old Testament version of Donald Trump, is it? But actually, this is the consistent picture that we find of Joshua in the Old Testament. So keep a finger in Joshua 1 and turn back for a moment to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 1, on page 130. Deuteronomy, chapter 1, verse 38, and that's page 130 of the Church Bible. And here God is talking to Moses, and he says this, But your assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, will enter the land encourage him because he will lead Israel to inherit it. So in the very same moment that God calls Joshua, God tells Moses to encourage him. Turn over the page to chapter 3, verse 28. Chapter 3, verse 28. But commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him for he will lead his people across and will cause them to inherit the land that you will see. Turn on again to chapter 31 verse 7 on page 150. Chapter 31 verse 7, page 150. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to your forefathers to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. And lastly, same chapter, chapter 31, verse 23. Can we all see verse 23? The Lord gave this command to Joshua, son of Nun, Be strong and courageous, for you will bring the Israelites into the land I promised them on oath I myself will be with you. Now you see, why on earth would the Bible need to repeat that eight times if Joshua was the kind of guy who never had a moment's doubt and was full of self-confidence? See, the reason this is repeated over and over and over again is because everybody could see that Joshua's knees were knocking. Everybody knew that Joshua needed to be encouraged and strengthened 
for the task of leadership that God had given to him. And this is very interesting for us, you see, because this is the sort of man that God makes into his soldier. God chooses the most unlikely material, people like you, people like me, people like Joshua. But Joshua needed encouragement. He needed to know that God was with him. Not just because of the size of the task, by the way, which was enormous, but because the circumstances seemed to be all wrong. And we'll see what those circumstances were if you come back with me to Joshua chapter 1 on page 155 and the first two verses. Joshua 1, verse 1, page 155. After the death of Moses, uh, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, what? Sit down and uh, wait for a little while, take a few months to get used to Joshua's leadership. Uh, yeah, is that what it says in your Bible? Does it, Grace? No. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them. So you see, that's why Joshua needed to be encouraged, isn't it? It's never actually very easy to follow a pioneer. Uh, That's true in Christian ministry. Uh, It's true in the life of the church. It's true in our lives as Christians that the second stage the stage of consolidation is often even more testing than the first stage. So beware the man who takes over the pulpit after me. Um, It must have been very, very tempting to think that immediately after the death of Moses that it was far too soon to be thinking about entering the promised land. I mean, wouldn't it make much more sense to get used to one another for a little while, to give Joshua time to get his feet under the desk, for the people to to learn to have some confidence in him. But God says, I want you now, it's time to cross the river. But even that wasn't easy, because if you turn over the page to chapter 3, verse 15, you'll find that at this particular point, the Jordan was in flood. Uh, That verse says, the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. And the experts say that in those days the the floodplain of the Jordan was up to a mile wide and even at the safest places to cross it could be 12 feet deep. So it was no easy matter, was it, to cross the Jordan with the great crowds of women and children and all the livestock. Now, all of the circumstances were against Joshua. And yet, in spite of that, God says to his man, be strong and courageous. Now, you see, the lesson that Joshua had to learn and the lesson that you and I need to learn again this morning is that the word of God 
prevails over all human factors. The word of God prevails over the death of great human leaders. It prevails over the inexperience of new leaders. It prevails over all adverse circumstances. Because when God says, get up and go, the word of God prevails. The word of God gets the job done. And you see, friends, that really is where the rubber hits the road in our own Christian lives. You know, we say that we believe in the authority of Scripture. We say that we believe that every word is given by God, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Well, then, are we prepared to live by that? Are we prepared to do what Scripture says? Because if we've got a high view of Scripture, then we can't be satisfied, can we, with a low standard of daily submission to his word. If we believe the Bible is the word of God, we've got to live by it. Because when God says something, his word prevails over all human factors. And friends, you see, that's all the difference between living in the desert grumbling and living in the promised land in the full awareness of the presence of God and meeting all of the difficulties that will surely come but meeting them in the strength that God supplies. It all depends on whether we live by his word or not and whether we receive it and believe it and obey it. Now, in the time that remains, what I want us to do is to look at the pattern by which God commissioned Joshua and uh, encouraged him and the pattern by which Joshua encouraged and commissioned the people. And there are three ingredients for us to notice and they're on the outline in your bulletin. The first is God's command, which we've already seen is there in verse 2. God says to his man, Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan. Now, in a sense, um, all of God's word to Joshua is a command all the way down to verse 9. And you'll see in verse 9 it says, um, God says to Joshua, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. Now, you see, Joshua has already been called by God to succeed Moses. Um, And as we saw in Deuteronomy, he's already been presented uh, to the people as their leader and he's already been promised God's help. But God knows just how much Joshua needs to be encouraged. And so at the point where he actually takes over, God comes to him a second time to reassure him and to stimulate him into action. Now then, you and all these people, it's time. It's time to cross the Jordan. Now, you see, when there is a task to be done, I think all of us find it terribly easy, don't we, to stand still and do nothing. Um, We might pray that we will be ready for it, 
We might pray that God will use us in a particular situation. And then suddenly, the opportunity comes, and when it does, it's fatally easy for us to just let it go by, do nothing about it. We convince ourselves, don't we, that it would be wise to wait for God to show us just a little bit more when God has already shown us everything we need to see. And here, you see, the divine pressure on Joshua moves him forward, even when, even when, Joshua is anxious and full of doubts. But God moves him forward because God's time is always the right time. And God says to Joshua, no more waiting around, it's time to take the next step. Now I wonder if God has been saying something to you recently through his word. And the truth is that instead of acting on it, you're just kicking your heels. You're not actually doing what he said. And it's the temptation that all of us face. I face it, you face it. We ask for more light without actually acting on the light that God's already given. Am I talking to myself here? See, the point is that when God says something to us clearly through the Bible, something that you know he's calling us to do, we must begin to do it in the strength that he supplies when he calls us. And I'm not talking here about an idea that you might have dreamed up yourself. I'm talking about a clear word of God through the Bible. I mean, it might have been something, for example, that we saw on camp a couple of weeks ago. Maybe it was the the call in Psalm 2 to reach out with compassion to someone that you know who is raging against the Lord. Do you remember that marvellous phrase in Psalm 2? Maybe as you heard that, you were stirred and you said to yourself, yes, I do have a compassion for that person. But now look back over the last couple of weeks since camp. Has it made any difference? Have we begun to do what God was saying to us then? Or maybe it's in the area of prayer and you've been saying, yes, I know from Scripture that I ought to pray more. But so far you haven't actually crossed the Jordan. You haven't done anything about it. Or maybe it's taking the initiative to put right a broken relationship with a brother or sister Whatever it is, in each case, the point is the same. There will be, listen to this, no real progress in our Christian lives until the command that God has already given has been obeyed. Joshua had to be obedient, and in verses 10 and 11, we find him instructing the people to be obedient. Verse 11, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready, three days from now you will cross the Jordan. So Joshua communicates the command of God to the people of God. And friends, any forward movement in your Christian life or mine begins with God speaking clearly through his word 
and the Holy Spirit taking that word and making it so relevant that we cannot possibly escape its truth. We know that this is what God wants us to do. Now that's the first ingredient in God's commission to Joshua and his people, God's command. The second ingredient is God's promise. Come with me to verse 3. God says, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now that's the promise. And as we've said so often before, command and promise always go together in Scripture. There are no commands in the Bible without promises encouraging us to obey. And here, God's promise has three important elements. The first is God's provision. You see, the area that God was willing to provide for his people in verse 4 was absolutely enormous. Uh, One commentator says this. Listen to this, it's rather interesting. I quote, In terms of political boundaries today, the promised land included modern Israel, the whole of Jordan, a large part of Saudi Arabia, half of Iraq, the whole of Lebanon, part of Syria, and the whole of Kuwait. Now that was the area that God was prepared to give them. And although the NIV translates it as, I will give you, the Hebrew experts will tell us that in the original, that is a past tense, ask White about it afterwards. God says, I've already done it. In other words, it's yours. All you've got to do is go in and get it. But the tragedy is that God's people didn't do that. As the book of Joshua goes on, you find them actually growing rather weary of the conquest and gradually settling for a much smaller area of land than God was willing to give them. God wanted to give them this vast expanse. That was God's purpose for Israel. But the people settled down and they were content with much less. And friends, that's one of the great tragedies, actually, of the people of God in the Old Testament. They lost their purpose. But God's provision was complete and it was perfect. Then notice that not only does God promise a great provision, he also promises his protection. Verse 5. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. You see, the task is huge. The enemies, well, they're many. But the outcome is never in doubt. God is with Joshua. 
And we need to remember that if it's not in you and me to actually win battles, it's not in God to lose them. So the people could have tremendous confidence, couldn't they, as they prepared to cross the Jordan. So there's provision and there's protection. And thirdly, the divine presence. End of verse 5. As I was with Moses, says God, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And God gives exactly these same promises to you and to me as he moves us forward in faith. He promises to provide everything that we need. He promises to keep us and to protect us. He promises to be with us. And you see, isn't that the remedy that we need for all of our anxieties and our doubts and our fears? In whatever it is that God might be calling us to do, we all have doubts and fears. Here's the remedy. We may be in difficult circumstances. We may find ourselves in situations that actually challenge the foundations of our faith. But the promise is that we are never alone. And if God is for us, well, those who are against us are severely outnumbered, aren't they? I will never leave you nor forsake you. So the commands and the promises of God go together. God says, it's time to cross the Jordan because I will provide, I will protect and I will be with you. And so when Joshua passes this message on to the people in verse 11, the promise is there again, isn't it? Take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. So it's a divine guarantee for the people as well as for the leader. So there's God's command, there's God's promise, and the third ingredient is God's condition. And you'll find this in verses 6 to 9. And the great phrase we looked at a moment ago, be strong and courageous. Now you see, the principle here is that in Scripture, the condition for enjoying the promises of God is always obedience. If we want to experience the promises of God and explore their full potential in our lives, then we must obey the commands. That's what faith is all about. You see, the promises of God are unconditional in terms of God's commitment. God is 100% committed to his promises. But our enjoyment of them depends upon our detailed obedience. And that requires faith. Try thinking of it this way. Um, I could give White a cheque for a million rand. I'd be rather unwise to do it, but I could give him a cheque for a million rand. Um, It's unconditional because it's got my signature at the bottom. Um, If I had the money in my account, which I don't, but if I did, um, then White would be absolutely confident that the cheque would be good. It's all there. There would be no condition attached to the cheque except that White would need to go to the bank 
and cash it in. So, obviously, when, when he receives the cheque, he acts in faith, doesn't he, by going along to the bank and paying it in, or saying, cash it and give me the money. And it's by obeying that condition that White enters into the promise that comes with the cheque. Do you follow the illustration? You see, White wouldn't enjoy the benefit of the cheque by taking it and framing it and putting it on, on the wall of his room down at GWC and admiring it from time to time. I mean, that wouldn't do him any good at all, would it? And in exactly the same way, you're not going to get very far, none of us are going to get very far in the Christian life by listening to God's word, making copious notes, but never actually acting on it. It requires faith and the willingness to act on the conditions given by God for the enjoyment of his promises. So what are the conditions? Well, here there are two. The first is trust, be strong and courageous, and the point is this, is, this is an important point, you see, that all the strength and courage that, that you and I need to obey the commands of God come from God himself. They are available to us from God. It is his strength and it is his courage. And faith, you see, is the appropriation of those resources in everyday life. So Martin Luther uh, had a rather marvellous uh, phrase for, for defining faith. Uh, he would say, your faith is saying, yes, this is for me. And that's exactly what you and I are called to do here. We're called to say, yes, God's character, his strength, his courage are available to me and I am going to appropriate them in this particular situation. So, for example, this is what the New Testament means when it says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's what Paul means, Ephesians 6. And that's why Paul also says somewhere else, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Faith says, I can do this through Christ. It's his power, it's his strength. He will take me where he wants me to go if I trust him to do it. So, faith doesn't fear and give up. But equally, faith doesn't underestimate the enemy and relax. No, faith watches and prays. Lord, help me now. Please give me your strength and your courage in this time of need. So, if we want to enjoy the promise, the first condition is trust. And the second, well, we've said it before, it's obedience. It comes out very clearly, doesn't it, in verse 7. God says to Joshua, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. So can you see trust and obey belong together? How am I going to trust and obey God this week? That's a good question, isn't it? Verse 8. 
Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. How do we obey God? By constant reading of the scriptures to ourselves and to other people and by meditating on them. Thinking through how they apply to my particular situation this week. I've given you rather a good quotation on the back of the question sheet from James Montgomery Boyce on this. Don't look at it now, but do look at it later. The point is that if I meditate on God's word day and night, God says to me, you will be prosperous and successful. That doesn't mean that I'll have a big bank balance, by the way. It means that God wants me to be a successful Christian. He wants you to be a successful, victorious Christian. He doesn't want us to be mastered by fear and doubt and discouragement. He wants us to be strong and courageous. He wants us to be supremely aware of his presence in our lives, moment by moment. I don't know what you're dealing with, perhaps you're facing a particularly testing situation right now and there's a Jordan to cross and there's a battle to face are you frightened? are you discouraged? but you see whether we move forward in that situation or not depends 100% on whether we hear and obey God's word And if that becomes our meditation day and night, that word will so grip our hearts and our minds that we will go forward in faith and obedience. And like Joshua, we will see God doing amazing things in us and through us. So let's pray for that now. Heavenly Father, we praise you for this story of your servant Joshua. We thank you for his humanity. We thank you that he was so like us that he knew what it was to be discouraged and weak. And so we thank you that you provided for him strength and courage. Lord, all of us here this morning have battles to fight and fears to face and difficulties to overcome, pressures like what we've been singing about this morning. Sometimes we're weary, sometimes we're downcast. Lord, we ask that you would write your word on our hearts and minds today. And we pray that you would help us give those areas of our lives over to you in trust and in faith. Lord, we commit to you the things that are on our minds and our hearts, the things that bother us and destroy our peace. We ask, Lord, that you would give to us your peace that the world can neither give nor take away. And we ask that you will help us this week to trust you where we cannot see, that we may live in the enjoyment of your provision 
your protection, your presence and experience your power at work in our lives moment by moment. And we also give to you the areas where we need to obey you. Things that you've already told us to do but that we've never really carried out. Things that we've been fighting you about over weeks and even months. Lord, help us to obey and to enjoy receiving the strength of the Lord that comes to all who trust and obey. For we ask all these things in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.